Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. testimony yeah how about the rest of you encouraged now let's let's be like the Bibleville kids hands way up yeah thank you as Leah said to the team thank you to the tech team the worship team the camp team the greeting team and thank you for being a part of the team guess how much camp happens without the whole body taking care of things I'll help you that much it is a body effort to make that happen Daniel is taking the children to children's church. So follow that good looking fella the way Hannah does. Good to have you here. Brother Boyd is going to come up at this time and we're going to cut him loose. Boyd, for those of you who don't know him, I, is... Uh, Previously from Saskatoon, about a year or so ago, maybe two now, God did not answer my prayer. So uh, how many of you believe in answered prayer? Because God missed one of mine. Because I think uh, I've gotten to know Boyd over the past decade, and then another opportunity came from where he's been positioned and home base for all his itinerant ministry and all that he's done has been out of Saskatoon. And so it's kind of like the friend you take for granted down the street because he'll always be there, right? And then he up and moved to Stony Plain, Alberta, where God called him to a church. And so I half-heartedly prayed that God would bless him, give him what he needed, like flat tires, blown out engines, stuff that would keep him here in Saskatoon. And so God definitely did not answer my prayer because he's moved him to Stony Plain and it's thriving as far as I can tell out there. The way I am reconciling the fact that it's God's voice is because he moved Boyd to something more difficult. He moves somebody who has skill, talent, a call of God, and an ability to discern what the Spirit is saying to a, a situation that was basically re rebuilding a congregation from the ground up. It's a place, I won't steal all his story, but it's a place where after having history there in the past, he gets called back. How many of you know that there's sometimes you never get an invitation back anywhere because it didn't go so well? But uh, Brother Boyd got an invitation back decades later to uh, to lead there, and so... I'm grateful that he keeps coming back to visit us and to preach to us. And you're going to hear good things from him today. So would you reach out your hand and stretch it towards Boyd as we pray for him this morning. God, I thank you for my friend Boyd. I thank you first that he's your son and that you've called him and that you've blessed him with a family and with a, a team around him. And that your call has been on him in a, in a thick and deep way over the course of his life serving you. So I pray, God, as he made the mistake of accepting this in the middle of vacation... And he has to preach in the middle of that. I pray that even as he shares, you would renew his spirit. I pray, God, that just the difference of being in this church um, for the moment would be a, a, a fresh outpouring of your spirit on him. You would give him what he needs for himself and that you would anoint him for what we need today as a corporate congregation, as well as how you weave it so nicely to our own individual lives. And so today we ask for the full abundance, the full life, the full blessing that you have for us in the midst of this time together. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you. You're good to go. Thank you. Oh, man. 
Father. Father God, we uh, we come to you and we give you this moment of quiet to be in your presence. So come, Lord, Holy Spirit. We turn our hearts to you, not to any man, not to any woman, but alongside one another, we turn our hearts to you. And we wait. Come, Lord, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus. From you are all things good. We receive at your hand what you give. And Lord, unless you, unless you lead us, we will not find direction. So come, Holy Spirit. We come today bearing the burdens that we bring, the fears, for some the anger, the disappointments, the split loyalties. We come, Lord, bearing the pressure that this world puts upon us to serve something else. And we invite you to do business, your business, in our hearts. And so, Lord, this word that is read today, it's your word, it's your story. And uh, only you can do something with it. So we come. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, oh, jeepers, man. Never fails. I come to this place, I start crying like a baby here. Uh, I'm, uh, when I think about Jehovah, oh, jeepers. think about Jehovah Jireh and I think about this place I'm reminded of being here hey thanks Niall bless you I'm reminded of the first time I came here there were 25 people they were using rent a band to worship in fact I don't think they had enough money to rent a band there it was borrowed band right um and um, they were challenging people, the ones that were here. And um, I remember meeting Dallas. 
and Leah, and uh, and and having this strange sense that you know that they needed some time, and so I offered that, and it was accepted, and I just basically got to fill a pulpit here for three months. I didn't really do much. Um, And then when they came back, anyway, you know, we just started this journey. I just, and I got to watch this journey from sort of up close. And I got to, wa- got to watch the journey of what happens when, um, when God is faithful. Because Jehovah Jireh, Jireh, the provider, remains faithful. And that's what the scripture says. It says that he is the same today, yesterday, forever. He never changes. It's like my wife with her children, right? Um, she never stops loving. She never stops taking care of. She never stops wanting to be with. She came home with me. All my children are in their 20s. First thing she does is goes to Costco and load up the fridge for them. And I'm thinking like, we're still feeding them? Are you kidding me, right? <laughs> But this, this faithfulness, this faithfulness of Jehovah Jireh outstrips the faithfulness of my wife to her children. It outstrips every faithfulness I have ever seen. So Jehovah Jireh, so anyway, I got thinking about that. I'm going to start the message today reading to you from Jehovah Jireh, the Jesus book. When we talk about God being faithful, the first thing he, he, first thing he is faithful about is reaching the lost. Uh, and, and to that end, I have friends in the Bible translation industry that uh, translate the word into many different languages and dialects and all this sort of stuff. And so I picked this passage up and I thought I would open it. I was going to open on more of a, a little more of a note of levity than, than getting up and weeping in front of you over God's faithfulness. But... This is part of God's faithfulness. It's part of his provision. So I'm in Hawaii with a friend of mine some years ago. And he's a Bible translator and he gives me this. So I just want to read to you a little bit from John chapter 3. Just the first few verses. And you have to get into a little bit of a rhythm when you're speaking Hawaiian pidgin, right? This is pidgin English. Had one Pharisee guy. His name Nicodemus, and he was one leader for the Jewish people. One night he went go by Jesus and tell him, Teacher, we know that you one teacher who come from God, because no one can show us the kind awesome stuff you doing if God knows stay with him. <laughs> Jesus tell him, That's right. And I tell you this too, whoever not born again, God's new way they know go and get what God wants to have for them. Jesus tell him. How one old guy get born again? Don't way he can go inside his mother one more time and get born? Jesus tell him, that's right. And I tell you this too, whoever not born again from water and from God's spirit, they know can get God for their king. People born from people and people's spirit born from God's spirit. Ain't no let them blow your mind. Just because I tell you, you guys got to get born again, God's new way. The wind blow here and there. You can hear him, but you know where that wind went come, where that wind going. That's just like everyone born again from God's spirit. 
sort of brings a little bit of energy to the room, don't it? What I'd like to share with you a little bit today, God, my provider, and as I was praying about this, a couple of passages just kept coming back to mind, and I don't know, at the the very worst, I'm just going to read a whole bunch of scripture to you this morning, and I'm just going to offer a couple of comments on that scripture. And so the first scripture that I have is Genesis 22, And Genesis 22 is about uh, a story of Abraham uh, being called to sacrifice his son, uh, Isaac. And the point that I want to make with this, you know, as I read this, is that God's provision comes in the midst of following God's call. But lots of people talk about, you know, how come God doesn't provide, God doesn't provide this, God doesn't provide that, God failed me here. And invariably, it's, it's like, hold it. Were you following God in this whole thing? How do you blame God for not providing when you don't follow God? Right? And so, you know, it's, in, it's, it's so interesting to me. You know, the first time we see God being blamed uh, for stuff is when Adam blamed God for giving him Eve who caused him to stumble. You get what I'm saying? God gets blamed in that process. And so oftentimes we run into this. Well, God's provision comes in the midst of following God's call. And I think, you know, as I, as I think about that, one of the reasons why God's provision comes in the midst of God's call is because we would be too scared to step into the kind of stuff where we need God's provision if God didn't call us there. Otherwise, what do we do? Otherwise, it's prosperity gospel stuff. Otherwise, it's just, you know what, God, I want the new car, I want the boat, I want the quad, I want the whatever else, Right? And, and, and God's going, no, 
I got better ideas for you. I got a more intense purpose for you. It's funny, you know, I was sitting talking with a guy here just the other day, and that's what he, he was hammering his fist on the table, and he's going, what is my purpose? And I'm going, you're three-quarters of the way through your life, and you don't know what your purpose is. You know, he just retired. What is my purpose? Well, I know what your purpose was. Your purpose was your job. Now the job's gone, and now you don't know anymore. There's a deeper thing that God calls us to, and it's a thing that undergirds stuff like jobs and marriages and whatever else, right? God's provision comes in the midst of following God's call. So let's just unpack this story a little bit. Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham. Okay, so hold it. God tested Abraham and spoke to him. I thought, you know, what stood out for me about this is God called Abraham. God took the initiative. I think that becomes important for a lot of us. Who here, you know, you want to do something for God? You know, that's me. I was taught, you know, you go and live for Christ. That's what we do. Get out there and live for Christ. That's actually not biblical. We're not called to go out there and live for Christ because we don't know what we're doing and we can't initiate that kind of a lifestyle. I've run into a lot of people that have tried. They tend to be angry and burned out. No, no, God initiates that call into our life. And there are many of you here, including Dallas, um, including Leah, you know, as you guys started this place way back when, or, to, or you shifted it, you, God used you to shift it into the next level of its existence, and you're going like, I, I didn't anticipate this. I didn't, you know, this sort of just came to me. God called me, and he called me to step out, cross that particular Jordan, and, you know, so it goes, Right? So, let it be said that God initiates the call. And then secondly, when God calls you, a lot of it, a lot of times what God does is he tests you. Why does he test you? Because in the testing, God breaks us out of what we are used to doing. It's like a, it's like a guy, especially men. The suicide statistics on men who retire is pretty high. Why? Because they've taken all their identity in what they do, and they can't handle the shift into something else. There's a testing that happens. And, and are you able to change when what you know has been stripped away from you? That's what happened here with Abraham. The interesting thing, too, is that God led Abraham through the test. God does not throw you into the pot of, uh, pot of boiling oil, so to speak, and see if you survive. That's probably not the best illustration. But anyway, right? God leads you through something and he tests you and he carries you through it. Does not abandon you. Abraham's response to the call was this. He said, here I am. That's a pretty short prayer. Here I am. And I want to say to you that that's all. If God calls you, God puts his call on you. If God is shifting you, he's moving you to another place. He's saying to you, cross this Jordan, whatever it is. All you got to do is say, here I am. That's the deal. Let God do the leading, right? He said, um, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. <coughs> First of all, the thing that strikes me as a guy who reads his Bible is that that is an unbiblical statement. How come God, who in every other place in the Bible that we run into child sacrifice, God speaks in the word about how he abhors 
uh, child sacrifice. This is repulsive to him. You don't do this kind of thing. That is the kind of thing that the cults do. It is not what the followers of Yahweh do. But he says to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. And I want to say to you this, that in the mind of Abraham immediately, what that looked like, it came out of his own occult background. If you read the stories of Abraham, Abraham was like everybody else. When God first found him, his name was Abraham. And and he did crazy stuff like, oh, I want to talk to God. So what does he do? He gets a goat. He cuts it in half. He lays the entrails out. One half here, one half there. He he walks back and forth between these things. This is occult activity because that's what he was raised in. And God is now going to call him out of that. You know, if if you want to read a really good book in missions, it's a sort of... uh, out of the box book, but it's a book written by a guy by the name of Bruce Olson, and the, the name of the book is Bruchko. And it's a book about a guy who went into a, a pagan or an animistic uh, tribal group in South America and began to share the gospel with him, them. And, and he didn't walk in and insist that now you now lay aside all your occult activities. What he did is he walked into that group they almost killed him when he walked in. He survived. And he began to inject Jesus into the culture. And he even began to inject Jesus into the religious practices. And guess what happened over the next couple of years? All of the occult religious practices fell away. And Jesus took over. And so the scripture says that the kingdom of God is like yeast. And all you have to do is bring it somewhere and implant it in that place. And it will take over by the power of the Holy Spirit. So interesting, right? Well, that's what, anyway, Abraham, he gets this director from God. You will go to Moriah uh, and you will sacrifice your son, the only son that you love. And I think God is thinking of something slightly different than Abraham, but Abraham's mind goes to what he knows, and he's thinking, I am going to go up to Mount Moriah, and I am going to butcher my son there on an altar. That's what God wants me to do. Okay. So this is interesting, right? God gives a a command to a radical step of faith, whether it's interpreted right or wrong. And there are some of you here, you have had a word spoken over your life in the past. It was a prophetic word. And it has failed to come to pass. And you've been disappointed and you've been brokenhearted and you've even been angry. And I say that partly because I have been there myself. And one of the reasons that happens in our lives is because we interpret things through our old mentality. And we don't understand that when God speaks a word, it may lead us in such a radical different direction that we don't have the framework to interpret it. But you would interpret it in your old way, and you set out to see this thing come to pass, and it didn't come to pass the way you thought it would come to pass, and you become despondent and disillusioned. And I want to say to you today, God wants to heal you of that. He wants to bring you into the freedom of letting the old ways go. And entering into what he has for you. Well, the leading is step by step. That's what happened to Abraham. God did not tell him everything. Right right away in in this call, there's evidence that there's going to be a huge cost. When you give your life to Christ, there is always a cost. You will be asked to die to your old life and to live to a new life. You will have to give up the things that you hold dearest to you. 
This idea that Jesus is just here to bless us and jack up our present life doesn't work. It's like putting a blower on the slant six that's sitting out in the, in, in the front of this building, right? I've got my old van out there. It's got a slant six. I've got 85 horsepower. If I put a blower on top of it, you guys know what a blower is? Some of you do. A supercharger, right? It would blow the sides out of my engine. Why? Because you can't bolt that kind of equipment, high-performance equipment, onto that old stuff. You have to start from the ground up. You're getting all new stuff. Anyway. So God shows him the first step to take. It goes on and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. So he remember, he's already anticipating, I gotta bring my own firewood, right? He's, he's already anticipating, I'm not going out there and finding not enough firewood. When you think about sacrificing a person, when you think about like if Isaac is 90 pounds and he's a, he's a small person, the amount of wood that it takes to consume a body we don't have burners, we don't have crematoriums, we don't have natural gas, we have wood. <clears throat> so he loaded a donkey with wood. And then he said to, uh, he, they, they launched out. So it's interesting to me because Isaac made a, or Abraham made a choice. He's, a, he's an action-oriented man. I've met many people that have had a call in their lives. I've been one of them, and I've been indecisive in many, in, in many stages of that. Partly because sometimes it's, it's such a radical thing, and it's hard to make the decision to just step out and do it, right? Remember when I first, uh, I first went overseas, my wife's bugging me. She's telling me, God's calling you overseas. I said, yeah, well, I'm scared to do that. And I got a number of reasons, but I'm too gutless to actually say that I'm scared. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard the voice of God on that one yet. So I, I finally said, okay, Lord, she's, she's driving me nuts. Um, she's, and she does it in a nice way, right? But anyway, drive me a little nuts. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit speaking through her. So I finally said, Lord, I will go overseas if you, if you give me an, the next opportunity, if, you get, if I get a call. The next day I got a call from an old minister and he, he's one of those half deaf guys who doesn't know how to talk gently. Boy! Oh, whoa. Carl, yeah. I want you to come to Tanzania with me. Okay. And the day after that I got a call from India. Same thing. And I'm like, Two? Are you serious? Well, you know, you don't, you don't hear well, so I thought I'd give you a couple of exclamation marks, right? The Lord says, and we launched out. But you've got to be a person of action. If you're going to follow the call of God, make a choice. And either don't do it or do it. Make a choice, right? Abraham is a man of action. He sets out. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, <coughs> and he saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and turn to you. Abraham told nobody about this. Partly, it makes me wonder if, you know, he was worried that he would experience opposition, that he's taking his son out to sacrifice. I don't know. But he kept this thing to God. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac, now Isaac apparently has been, he knows enough about sacrificial stuff that he starts noticing that something's missing. And he said, my father, and, he, and, and Abraham said, here I am, son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, <clears throat> but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Again, Abraham doesn't say anything. I don't know. He didn't want to terrify his kid. He wanted, like, maybe he's old and he's scared that Isaac will take off running and he won't be able to catch him. I don't know, right? But he doesn't say anything. Instead, what he says is actually an amazing statement of faith. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. And, and in this moment, in this statement, Abraham speaks about God's provision. He doesn't give, he doesn't give details, but, but he speaks of it. And, and the reality that he speaks of is that when God calls you to something, he provides the sacrifice. You know, sometimes when you think about this, how, how will I do this? How will I do this? And I, again, I think Abraham, <clears throat> he's sort of looking at Isaac, and this is a gentle way of not saying directly, you're the sacrifice. But however Abraham understood this, what God does is provides the sacrifice. So when God says, you know, I think about, I'm walking out of church one day. This is a stupid little memory from way back when. And somebody walks up to me and gives me 200 bucks. And they said, Pastor, I want to give you 200 bucks. And I'm going like, part of me is going like, woohoo, 200 bucks, right? And part of me is going like, oh, I don't need the 200 bucks. Bless you, bless you. No, take the 200 bucks. Okay, I took the 200 bucks. So I got 200 bucks in my pocket. And a lady comes, uh, comes out of church. She gets in her car and she's just driving out and she sees me and she stops. And I initiate a conversation. How are you doing? Oh, well, a little broke. I got to figure out uh, where I'm getting rent money from this week. I'm not quite up to. I said, I got 200 bucks. She said, That's pretty much what I need. Here's the 200 bucks. Oh, I can't take the 200 bucks. You're the pastor. We're supposed to be giving it to you. Take the 200 bucks. Somebody just gave this to me and God meant that I would give it to you. And sometimes what happens when God calls you and he gives you a calling, he then gives you that provision for you to give not only to him, but to somebody else. <coughs> That's why selfish people don't follow the call very easily. Because when stuff comes into your hands, you lock it down, you sell it, you spend it on yourself. And then you wonder why everything shuts down. Give what God has given you to give. Well, then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there, and they arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And this is interesting. We're not totally told much about this, because apparently this isn't the point of the story. If this was the point of the story, we'd have this whole description about what happened, how did he chase Isaac down, how traumatized Isaac was, and all that kind of stuff. We don't really get this from Isaac's point of view. Me, I've sometimes wondered, thank you, I've, I've sometimes wondered a little bit, what was Isaac thinking? You're going to do what? <laughs> right? And, and Abraham has to tackle him and tie him down. You know, again, this some cultural differences here. In our culture, if I was Isaac, I'd bolt, right? You ain't tying me up, Right? In, in Abraham's culture, and we have many cultures like this today, the son does what the father says. Stand still, give me your hands. And he ties him up, and the son doesn't question. And he wraps him in, 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 the, in the rope, and the son doesn't question. Dad will tell me if I need to know. This is a cultural thing. Anyways, he puts him on the wood, because now he's approaching the time for final action. <clears throat> Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, from me. This is the crisis point of the test. It's one thing to step out believing you've heard God's call. It's another thing to make the choice to follow through. It's another thing to come to that place of obedience. It's one thing to have a calling. It's another thing to take the steps that commit you to following it and carrying it out. You know, there are people uh, in the old days who went on missions who, when they got off the boat, they burned their papers so they couldn't go back. There are stories of, of, of old explorers, you know, who came and they, uh, they, they stepped onto shore and they burned the boat so that nobody could change their mind and go back. It was a final commitment, and this is what Abraham did. And this is one of the things, you know, as you follow out the call of God on your life, and maybe it's a radical call, and maybe it's an extreme call, and maybe you've interpreted it in the light of your past experiences, whatever it is. But when you commit, and when you in your heart lay a hold of the knife, God looks within your heart, and he sees that the decision is made. And that's what God is looking for. That's what God is looking for. God is not punishing you. And I've had this oftentimes. It, it's disturbing to me. It's disturbing to me how often I hear people question God in this way. And they say, why is God doing this to me? Maybe I did something to deserve this as though it is punishment. 1 John 4.18 says this, that he who fears is not yet perfected in the love of God. He doesn't understand, she doesn't understand what the love of God is really all about. Because fear has to do with punishment. And perfect love drives out all fear. What does that mean? Who has taken our punishment? Do you know? Who? Jesus has taken our punishment. And there is no motive in the heart of God anymore to punish anyone. The grace of God is to be received by all. The scriptures do teach that those who refuse that grace will come under a punishment that it was actually designed for the devil and his angels. But the heart of God is to save all. The heart of God is to save us. And especially with his children. His goal is not to punish. Who here grew up in one of those families where where you felt like the desire of your parents was always to punish you, and you, you lived under that oppression. You never know when it was coming at you. You never know when you were going to get it. This is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve wants to redeem. He wants to restore. His joy is to forgive. His joy is to cleanse, to heal. That is the heart of our God that we speak of. And this is the same God that Abraham served. So this God sees the willingness of surrender. And that willingness is so important. It's like a friend of mine. I remember one time going rock climbing. And, and this friend of mine took me up a grade 7 cliff face. Whatever, if anyone knows what that means. He's like a grade 13 guy. He takes me up grade 7 and I somehow made it. And then on the way back, we're rappelling down. And he says this thing to me. He says, he's got me, he's got me hooked up to the rope, eh? And my harness that I'm sitting in, and he says, okay, I'm going to belay you back down. He says, I want you to lean back, but you've got to trust me. Don't step back. If you step back, you fall off the cliff, and you smack your face, and then you break your nose. He says, you've got to lean back, and you've got to trust me. I won't drop you. And as I leaned back, the freedom of, you know, doing the Schwarzenegger thing or the, 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 the Rambo thing, bouncing down this cliff, right? 
was just so cool and so exhilarating. You just got to trust me. And so that's that willingness. Are you willing to trust God? Well, that's the choice we all face. And sometimes you will not know. I remember thinking, you know, I thinking just the other day, could I ever be a martyr? I don't think so. I'm too gutless. Like I, 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 like, I like a certain amount of discomfort in different ways, but when it comes down to pain, I don't think I could do it. I think I'd be like, I'm bailing right now, right? And then you read the stories in Fox's book, Martyrs, about these people that were martyrs and how the Holy Spirit would come upon them and provide for them the strength, provide for them the joy, provide for them the pain mitigation, whatever it was, that would allow them to follow their Savior right to the end. Because God provides, right? So it's this willingness, Lord, I am willing. And sometimes when you're being willing, you just stay in the moment. Like Abraham, I'm sure, was at this moment. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, and behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. He named a location the Lord will provide. It's actually a fairly cool thing. People do pilgrimages. Anyone ever done a pilgrimage? Neil has. You've been the El, done the El Camino, right? Yeah. Um, these pilgrimages, why would people do pilgrimages? Because of the devotional discipline on the journey toward the pilgrimage would build you to that moment of faith where you would be able to receive from God. Where that focus was so intense for that long, right? And so, so there's this, 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 this location that is named that it will be provided. So God provides everything we need coming out of this story. Even Isaac was a gift of God in doing what he did. Isaac, Abraham actually gave God back the gift that was Isaac. And there's a tendency sometimes with each one of us. We have prayed for something, we prayed for something, we've received something, and, and then the something, the gift, has become the idol. And what do you think happened with Isaac? Abraham, who couldn't have a son. Sarah, who was mocked because in the culture of the day, for a woman not to be able to bear children, especially a son, was a disgrace. And so suddenly God had opened her womb and given her this son and given Abraham this son. And his whole future hinged on this son and all the promises of God hinged upon this son. And then God says, I want you to give him back. Why do you want, Lord, this is contradictory. No, because in his heart, in your heart, he's become your idol now. And now you trust Isaac for your future rather than me. And we have to reposition that. So there's reason behind why God does this. God's not just cruel. He's not not just going to wind you through a meat grinder to see what comes out the other side. Hey, look at that. That's cool looking, isn't it? No, no. God looks into the heart. And I always say that God is an economical God. That means God does only as much as needs to be done, but he does all that can be done at the same time. And so he will reorient our hearts so that we worship him and not the gift. That's what he does here. So God is even the provider of a new heart for us. You know, 
we might question sometimes why God does such a radical thing. Well, because he's restoring the gift to the place of gift rather than to the place of idolatry. And he's restoring himself to the place of God. Something happens when we follow God on this level. Self dies. Self is the greatest enemy of the worship of Christ. Because when we get selfish, everything follows out of that. Even what looks good can be polluted by selfishness. So self dies. You know, Abraham died to self on that mountain. And in dying to self, he experienced the freedom to trust God with everything. You know, it'd be interesting if we were to all just make some notes about ourselves. What have you given to God? What have you not given to God? It's that thing that, you know, I just can't quite let it go. I got a 67 Fargo van out there. I just can't let it go. I think I gave it to God yesterday when I, when I blew an engine hose and it spewed the whole interior of the cab with glycol. Anyway, what will you give to God? He experienced a freedom that only comes when we give up control. When we stop balancing what we want and have with trying to follow God's call on us. The changing of the human heart and its allegiance is no easy thing. And sometimes God takes us to a place where we're forced to make a choice. Well, anyway, the rest of the story says Abraham was then blessed and he lived out the rest of his days in blessing. I want to take you to my second little short passage. It's Hebrews 11. And the point, if the first point that I made was God's provision comes in the midst of following God's call... That means you actually have to accept the call to experience God's provision. You can't experience God's provision when you're refusing God's call or when you're on a selfish journey. Okay? Point number two is God's provision comes through faith, which means you will be brought to a point where you, where you have to trust, where you're hanging off that cliff and you got that one rope strapped onto you, holding you up, and you're hanging for all, you, all you're worth on that one rope. It's Christ. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. This is, this is crazy. God calls you, and he will call you to step forward, and, he will, and you do not know where you're going. And it will not be something that you can then prepare yourself for. You have to trust him. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. I love that word, aliens. We should have a t-shirt, aliens. And then this reference. Because this speaks about being a stranger in a strange land. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It speaks about not fitting here. And sometimes we, we wonder, God, why don't I fit here? Because we're not designed for this place. And God will call us out into a place that is outside of our comfort zone. You read that, that book, Bruchko. He was called into a place where he was outside his comfort zone. But it was so right for him to be there and so alien and so foreign at the same time. And you wonder, why I don't fit here? Why don't I fit here? Because the natural tendency is to resort to what we can do rather than trust God. 
That's actually one of the things I like about, about being overseas in missions. Because the moment I get on an airplane to go overseas uh, and put myself in the hands of some tribal group somewhere, I, I, I'm done. Like, I don't know what to do, right? It's like, enjoy the ride or die, right? And, and that, that was actually, like, the first two times I went overseas, stressed out of my mind. It was brutal. And then I come back, and I'm, like, exhausted for two months. And uh, I finally realized what the problem is, is the problem is just to embrace the now. Just embrace the now. That means if I'm in a 4x4 in the middle of Tanzania, and we stop in the middle of some Maasai herd, herdsman herd of cows, right? I'm getting out, man. I'm getting out. I'm getting involved in a situation even if I can't speak the language. I'm going to embrace this situation. I'm going to give what I have to give. And it makes all the difference. So you might not know why you're there. <coughs> you may feel like you're in a foreign land. And then it goes on and it says this. So we live there as those who were heirs of the promise. What is the promise that we're heirs of? The promise is Jesus. The promise is that we will always be forgiven. The promise is that God will never let us alone. The promise is God will always be compassionate. The promise is God will sweep up after our mistakes. The promise is God will show up in the power of the Holy Spirit and he will change lives. This is the promise that we are in error of. That means we can expect that. Why? It says, because he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We are looking for a city, according to this, and it references it a couple of times, that is not our own. That means we look around at Saskatoon and we go, Saskatoon is a broken city, but it's not the city I was made for. The city I was made to live in is the New Jerusalem. It is a place where God's presence, God's Shekinah glory dwells in power. And we anticipate that. When I go home from here, uh, and home for me is now in Alberta. I'm still wrapping my head around that one. Um, I have a young man that I'm going to bury. He died abruptly on an operating table under minor surgery. He uh, vomited, aspirated the vomit and basically suffocated, drove him into a heart attack, and he died. This young man was one of my youth when I was in that church 25 years ago. And he was not a happy youth back then. And I did not leave that place 25 years ago with him on good terms, him and me on good terms. And I prayed for him over the years. And when I came this big full circle and I came back to this church that has been through so much trauma and was on the edge of closure, he is still part of the extended community. And I didn't know, what do I do with him? Uh, do I reach out to connect with him? He probably still hates me. And then one day God brought us together. And I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, last time I talked to you, you know, you're waving your finger at me. I won't do it to you right now, but you get what I'm saying, the finger, right? <laughs> and he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Well, I said, oh, I made my mistakes too. I'm not trying. And we hugged. And something happened. And then six weeks ago, I stood beside his brother's deathbed. So he lost his brother six weeks ago. And as he got choked up, I opened my arms to him and we stood and we hugged. 
And we shared a little bit, and he said, I, uh, I believe. Okay. And then he died last week. And I get to go home and bury him. But you know, he too was an heir of the promise. And God was faithful to him. And it's so amazing to me how God can take 25 years and soften a heart. My grandma did the same thing. The night my grandma died, she walked out my grandfather and she, she shook her fist at him. You stupid old man, I'd like to wipe that smile right off your face. What do you got to be happy about? She was a little on the negative side. <laughs> and my grandpa looks at her and he says, he says, honey. He didn't say that. He, whatever. We'll say honey. He said, honey. He said, it's because of Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, he wipes your sins away and he fills the place of anger and guilt with his presence and he gives you love. And she looked at him. And she turned around and walked into her bedroom and he heard her kneel down beside the bed and pray. And in the middle of the night, she stumbled and fell out of bed and she was dead on arrival. I remember talking to my grandfather after that and he said, he said, I just want to know that she was in heaven and he's being tormented by this. I said, Grandpa, don't you know what happened? Don't you know? Jesus used your prayers to keep her here long enough to get saved. You know, uh, you know, some, a lot of times, you know, we speak negative words over ourselves. Jeepers, if negative words could kill, my grandmother would have been dead 20 years earlier. She was determined she was going to die by the age of 62. And she spoke it regularly. 87 was the day she died. Because God needed to keep her that long to soften her heart to get her saved. And then he took her. This faithfulness, this eternity. Man, when you, when you speak about these kids this last week that gave their lives to Christ and how the Holy Spirit moved. This is what we look for. You know, faith creates a hope of God's provision. It creates a faith of heavenly needs being met and of earthly needs being met. And, and it just goes on to speak of a journey of faith that recognizes that we are not of this world and that looks forward to eternity. A journey of faith that operates by God's timetable. A journey of faith that understands that we are sometimes part of a bigger picture. A journey of faith that receives and walks in the anticipation of the fulfillment of the promises of God. So the question for you today, one of the questions, have you lost hope? Maybe you've lost your sense of framework in what I just described. Are you disappointed with God? Maybe God hasn't done it the way you thought it ought to look like and you don't realize that God has got you on a journey of his crafting. Maybe it's time to repent and step back into the place of servanthood. And get off of the stool of idolatry in your own life. I promise you when you do that, the peace will come. There's nothing like, like, like being on the idol of your own life, on, the, on that stool of idolatry in your own life, to steal from you the peace that Christ promises. Because you're trying to do something that you can't do. Well... Point three and my closing point is this. So if point one was God's provision comes in the midst of following God's call, point two, God's provision comes through faith, and point three is the secret to God's provision is to serve God first. 
It says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. In other words, your priority cannot be to fill your bank account and then trust God. That was my priority. And I'm begging God, just fill my bank account so I can go do stuff for you. And he's going, well, then you don't have to trust me. God will never fill your bank account so that you can do that. And if you're one of those people that takes lots of loans, stop it. If you're one of those people that every time you get a raise, you jack up your lifestyle to another level, stop it. Make the choice to live in a lifestyle and then allow God to grant you what he wants to grant you to give away. That way you don't serve yourself anymore. Right? So the secret to God's provision is to seek the relation with him as first priority, to engage that relationship and to worship him and dedicate your, your life to him. Your primary commitment is shown by what you value most. And so he says this, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What do you worship? Who do you worship? What's most important to you? Ask those questions. And then get on your knees and let it go. Because it's not worth it, whatever it is. It says you will either love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, both God and money. You will either love one and hate the other. You know, anger and love are the markers of what our priorities are. You may say that you worship God, but if you're angry at God because he hasn't given you enough stuff, you don't worship God, you worship the stuff. And I lived that false religion for many years. And finally, it's like, I don't care, Lord, anymore. In the name of Jesus, I don't care. I'm yours now. And I'm probably still on that journey to some level. Because it is a journey. And so he says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor to your body as to what you'll put on. It's not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Which of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? You can, by being worried, take hours off your life. I can change the color of my hair by worrying. That's where all my gray came from, right? The gray here. At least people don't card me anymore, you know? <laughs> Whatever. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, Today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, you of little ability to trust him? Sometimes, you know, the people that trust God the most also get judged the most because they don't live according to the dictates of the society we're in. And we go, like, how come you're so free and easy and I'm the one that's carrying all the responsibility? Maybe we need to explore their journey a bit. Provision is tied to faith. God takes care of us even when we worry. Many of us worry needlessly, and we're worried because we don't understand how valuable we are to God. How valuable are you to God? 
You are worth the life of his Christ. You are worth that. And many of us do not understand that. I was talking with a young minister yesterday. And, and you know, I, I guess I haven't shared enough about Jesus lately. Because he sort of found himself back to into a corner while I started talking about the heart of God. And how Jesus loves us. And how God has expressed his love for us in Christ. And how God seeks us out. And how when we allow God to, to, to forgive our sins, it fills his heart with joy. And it gives him great happiness. And it allows him to do what he came to do. And yet we live in shame and we live in hatred. And, and this young minister says, I haven't talked about that for a long time. I guess I just assumed everybody knows it. Nobody knows this. We hear about it. It's been touched to to a certain level. But if we don't hear about it regularly, all the performance drive in this world pushes it back out of us. We're worth everything to God. When you think about your children who you love, and you maybe you wounded your children, and they express that wounding to you, and you dedicate the next two years of your life to making it right, to changing the way you interact. Why? Because you love them. That love drives God. He yearns to touch our lives. I think the story of the young fellow that I, the young young father who uh, had a son who was an addict, and the addict son was not trustworthy, and he couldn't depend on him. He couldn't allow him in the house anymore because the kid would steal stuff. And so the only time he could meet with the son was downtown when the son phoned, and he said, I would find myself downtown sitting in a restaurant across the coffee table from my son who stank and who was shaky because he was coming off his drugs because he didn't have enough money, and I couldn't do anything except buy him a cup of coffee and hold him. And he stank, and I loved it because he said, I just want to hold him and smell him. I just want to touch him. He says, he's been so long away from me. How joyous God is to enter into our our woundedness and our weakness and our aloneness. This is the cure for anxiety. We don't understand how much he values us. And I've often walked down the street, like I was out in the hood here this morning even, and I'm praying, God, give me your eyes to see people. Don't worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Because you know what? If you worry, he's going to feed you anyway. He will feed you anyway. So worry is a waste of time. What will we wear for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things? It's their priority, but your heavenly Father knows you need them. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Take that time to be with him, and you will see his provision in every different way it can be seen. And so Psalm 37 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, but he will not be there. But the humble, those who depend on God, will inherit the land. And will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The Holy Spirit is seeking some of you 
this morning and you have wandered and you were back in the place of anxiety and worry and his conviction is upon you and he desires to set you free. And he wants to dethrone something from the idol, the, the stool of idolatry in your life and he wants to retake his throne. Are you ready? The call is to repent and repentance means literally to return, to turn back and the promise given to Jeremiah when he had strayed was if you return, I will restore you. That means God will return to you the innocence and the freedom that you once had. Some of us, we started with God, we got disillusioned, we did a bunch of stuff, and now we, we don't know how to ever get, how can we get back from that stuff? When we were forgiven, now we did all this stuff, how do we get back to here? You step forward into more forgiveness. God will not cease to forgive. He will not. And so the question I want to ask you today, are you willing to sacrifice your Isaac? The thing you've worshipped? The thing that you've held on to? The self-hatred that you believe is so justified? Are you willing to surrender to this Christ? Nothing else matters. I should not have to wait to stand beside your deathbed for you to be willing. But it is unfortunately on the deathbed that so many people go, I can't do anything anymore. I'm finally ready to say yes. And then the amazement takes over. Will you surrender to Christ? I am issuing this call by the power of the Holy Spirit. into your life into your life will you respond we're going to take a moment and we're going to ask God to search our hearts and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would surrender if you would return to Jesus if you have wandered or if you have held back from making that commitment, or if you're scared of what it means to sacrifice your Isaac, but you're ready, we're going to give God our surrender together this morning. God Almighty, you come now in the power of the name of Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit, and you pierce us through and through with the reality of your word, the reality of our value before you, of the calling to give you our idols. Father, you forgive us. You know how we think. You know everything, and you love us. And it is not your purpose to punish, but it is your purpose to free. And so now we come to you, Lord God. I ask you to search these hearts that are gathered, my own included, in this moment of quiet. God speaks to your heart and you would give him something. I want you to stand to your feet. There's no pressure here to do this. 
It is simple obedience. If you are at rest within your spirit that you're in, good, in a good place with God, that is fine. Then your calling is to pray for those who stand. It is time today to give up unforgiveness and betrayal. Not that you can do it, but he can do it in you. It is time to give up the worship of money. Not that you can do it, but he can do it in you. It is time to give up substance abuse of whatever your substance is. Not that you can do it, but you will give him your weakness and he will do it in you. It is time to give up the self-hatred. Not that you can stop hating yourself, but that he in his love can displace the hatred. It is time to say, Jesus, I'm ready for Mount Moriah, and I'm all yours. Today we lift the knife, and the old self dies. And what that looks for you coming off of Mount Moriah may be different than what it looks for somebody else. But, but he will lead you. I don't... I don't suggest that I can tell you what God intends for your life, except that he wants all that you are. God Almighty, I speak now over my brothers and sisters here who are responding to your call. I speak now the mercy and the power, the mantle of the Holy Spirit coming down here in this place to rest upon each one of them, that they would be baptized in your Holy Spirit, filled and refilled, that your presence would pour through them, that you would bubble up in them. Lord, these are the ones. These are the ones you have called out to in, in John 7:37. Is any among you thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And I speak now the release of your spirit. I want you to pray with me. Those of you who are standing, those of you who are sitting, remember you're, in, you're in interceding on behalf of these folks. And if you're sitting and you're too ashamed to stand, that is fine because God sees your heart. But I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you as Abraham. You started this thing with me. You called me. And I'm saying yes. I'm terrified of what that might mean. Because I'm out of control. But I give that to you too. Pour through me. Strip away my idols. My life is yours. Whether I remain here or whether I go to eternity, my life is yours. Do with me as you will. I invite you into my darkness. I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a bunch of things. And if, you, if the, what I name meets you, you can say it. If, it doesn't, if it's not your need, then don't say it. I invite you into my broken marriage.
I invite you into my self-hatred. I invite you into my unforgiveness and bitterness. I invite you into the grudge that I carry that I cannot get rid of. I invite you into my addiction. I invite you into my fear. I invite you into my anger. I invite you into my jealousy. I invite you into my sexual woundedness. I invite you into the trauma of my abuse. I invite you into the place of unbelief in my life. Jesus, I am yours. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. I receive your forgiveness for not trusting you. I didn't know how. Thank you for showing me. From this moment, you own me, and I am yours. Lead me on. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening to me. good stuff we need that and when you go on throughout this week I invite you to do three of the things he said and recognize the call that is on your life and through that as you spend time with Jesus this week come with thanksgiving thanking him for what he's provided and be open-handed into in regards to what he's asking you to repent of and that this would be a week of Settling and feeling that acceptance and love of thanksgiving and giving him a fresh openness for the course of a whole week into what he's inviting you to turn away from. I don't know if you were gripped by that stuff in the sense of blessings that have become an idol. God forgive us. But that's been me. When we, when we look more for God's hand for what he will give us than God's face for getting to be face to face with him, we've missed it. And so please, please take time with Jesus this week. This week, I invite you to pray um, as we've already prayed for camp. But as you know, in regards to uh, re residential schools and the Catholic Church and the Pope is coming. And I just want us to honor and hold that space on behalf of what is going on as there's so many people that will be um, experiencing fresh hurt again or renewed hurt as they hear what is to be an apology and that God would just use that situation and that there's Christians all throughout that they would be praying and that they would be ministers of reconciliation and hope and healing that we would be coming alongside, not because this isn't a Catholic church and not because some of us aren't First Nations, but we would recognize and hold the space that this is a broken, hurting land, and we would pray into it and believe that Jesus could use even this time to bring greater degrees of healing. Amen? So please don't just think, don't just hear of it as news for interest sake, but when you hear of it during the week and even outside of the news, please be praying for that. Um, want you to uh, also, the offering box is at the back, or you can give online. The summer snack series is happening after church with the four C's. Costco, chocolate chip cookies. So that's 
happening after you get to have dessert before you have lunch. And um, if you're online or if you're in the building, please text or say happy birthday to Alicia because our rock star media director and youth pastor got older today. So Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for what you're doing in our midst and that you're coming for our hearts and that your holiness and jealous jealousy for us is not removed from your provision and that it all ties together that you're going after the things of our heart to see you first and foremost as as the gift and that we could live our lives to whatever the call is and in whatever level of blessing you have for us that we would be uh, people that that are able to live in contentment and to receive godliness and to live those lives with great gain that you have given us Father, we think of what is about to take place this week, and I do not pretend to be able to speak to it. But in regards to um, the apologies and the connections and the people who will be speaking and acknowledging their grief and people receiving the grief, Jesus, would you um, speak to people individually and bring, bring healing and hope? And would you bring a new and fresh degree of healing and hope to our land? And would you help us to walk in honor of each other, loving each other, no matter our backgrounds, our ethnicity, our skin color, our gender, whatever's going on, that we would be people that learn how to love. Father, we uh, thank you that you are a uh, good God. And today, would you help us to... to um, be people that are come with thanksgiving, open to repentance, stepping into your call. And I bless this congregation online and on site in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Take time for each other and a cookie. And if you're online, come on down and get it. Wow. 